For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so, so excited to be joined today by ESPN NFL reporter and co-host of First Take Her Take, Kimberly A. Martin. Kimberly talks about her role as a storyteller, listening to a lot of advice, but not listening to a lot of people, making the right career decisions, even when they're tough decisions in the moment, and why she takes pride in her hair and makeup game. If you know, you know. We also bond over our love of dogs and have a lot of laughs. This is such a great episode and you guys don't want to miss it. So subscribe, listen, rate, and review. Enjoy. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. I have been so excited to talk to you. Tracy, I've been looking forward to talking to you. I'm glad we finally, finally were able to get together. Me too. So let's jump right in because you have a fantastic story and there's much to discuss. <laughs> so let's start. Let's make it real easy. Why don't you just take us through your entire journey? Oh, no, why don't you how, start long, how long is this podcast, girl? Let's um, start from the day you were born, but, you, but your, so, no, no, your professional I, journey that, that's gotten you to where you are today. No, no, I'm going to start at the beginning at 8.57 okay. a.m. on January 9th. Um, no, oh my gosh, uh, my birthday's January 24th. So Is amazing. it really? Okay, yes. so my due date was actually January 23rd, and I would have <gasps> been in Aquarius, but I was exactly two weeks early, so I'm technically... Uh, a Capricorn, but I think that fits me so much better. <laughs> That's really funny. And everyone always says I'm on the cusp of the two, um, which I don't, to be honest with you, and I'm super into like kind of astrology and woo-woo stuff, but I still don't entirely understand what it means to be on the cusp, but you know, nonetheless. But sorry, yeah. guys, we digress. Your we're journey. Moving on, guys. My journey. January um, 9th, 8.57 a.m. And then from <laughs> um, So gosh, I actually, uh, undergrad, I was a psychology and African-American studies major. And I only bring that up because people assume that I studied journalism from jump. I did not. I mm-hmm. actually thought I wanted to be a relationship counselor. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah. So I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And when I graduated, I just had student loans to pay back. So mm-hmm. I got a job in finance. So I worked in finance for a year and a half. And I, best time of my life, I worked at an investment management firm, U.S. Trust Company of New York. I think it's still on 47th and 7th uh, near the Diamond District. But during that time, I realized, you know, I don't want to be a certified financial planner. I don't want to be a portfolio manager. I want to do something more creative. So I was at my cubicle filling out my graduate application for Syracuse. So that's where I studied magazine journalism. And to this day, Tracy have never written for a magazine. Um, but, <laughs> but it's but in your back pocket. It is. Oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, you use the skills, um, you know, just teaches you a different set of skills, but mm-hmm. I've always worked at newspapers, uh, you know, when I started. So coming out, I was an intern at the Bergen Record. 
uh, Burning Records in Jersey. It was in Hackensack, New Jersey, for any listeners who may be on the East Coast and familiar with Jersey. Mm-hmm. I am a Brooklyn girl, so I grew up reading the, reading the Daily News and, um, you know, the Post and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm Northeast, like New York City, Tri-State, uh, all day, every day. But mm-hmm. I started my career in Jersey, the Burning Record, and then after about probably a year and a half, I got an offer to go to Newsday, which is on Long Island to cover high school sports. So my trajectory is pretty much covering high school sports. So I cover, I loved high school field hockey. I loved, uh, you know, covering boys basketball, covered football in high school, you know, high school football. I covered fencing. I remember some, like I loved, and that's the thing when I talk to students, like to me, I, there are days where I actually miss covering high school sports because people are so Kids are in such a rush to cover the Yankees, or in your case, to cover the 49ers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, to come out of school, like, that's the dream job. Those are great dream jobs. But I think covering high school sports, it, you're the first person that's meeting that kid. You mm-hmm. don't know. Like, I covered Tobias Harris when I worked at Newsday, when I was covering boys basketball. He's from Long Island. Wow. Like, he, like and I mean, he doesn't remember me to this day, I'm sure. But, you know, it's, it's interesting you never know where life takes these athletes. Um, and so you're the first person to tell their stories. You know, mm-hmm. I still have a kid that, that checks in with me now because I wrote a profile on his life at dealing with, you know, losing parents and all these different things. And he still thanks me for writing his story. Like you're imagine everybody's written about Derek Jeter. I've written about Derek Jeter. Everybody's written, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everybody's written about Jimmy Garoppolo and all this stuff, but to find a kid in high school, whose story is amazing and has never been told, like that's a clip that if that kid ends up becoming a professional athlete, like actual, like national writers can refer back to and look at for background information and to know their story. Like, I think that's pretty cool. Um, That's amazing. And I have to interrupt you really quick. That's funny Tobias Harris, because on the week we're recording this, he was the Fangirl Sports Network's Five Fun Facts this week. Oh, was and, be- and before this podcast, you guys, we were talking about Five Fun Facts. It was really funny. He was who we featured on that Wednesday. So it's See? so funny that you, it's full circle. Yeah, you never know, man. Life is crazy like that. Um, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, so I, I did high school sports, man. I was at Newsday for a total of 10 years. Okay. Uh, I covered high school sports, I think, for two then they bumped me up to a general assignment reporter. So I did college. So St. John's, like Hofstra, basketball, mm-hmm. football, you know, Knicks, Nets, Giants, Jets, practices, um, Yankees, some backup baseball. Like in the, like I covered Yankees playoff losses, games, um, New York City marathons. I was there for Derek Jeter's 3000 hit. Oh, wow. Um, I got to do – it was funny because the the night that everybody thought he was going to hit it, I think there was a rain delay and the game got postponed or something like that. And the next day, all the regular beat baseball beat riders were off, and there was a bunch of us backups that were at that game when he hit the 3,000 hit. And it's funny, my husband – it was a sports writer. Now he's an editor, but he was working for his paper and they sent him. So the two of us were in the press box, like covering Derek Jeter's 3000 hits. So oh, um, that's amazing. Were you already married or dating at that we point? Were da- we were dating. Okay. We were dating. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause I was a new, yeah, we were dating. Um, at that that's time. So, cool. so yeah, I know we've covered, we've covered the giants Super Bowl win over the Patriots and Indy, um, together. Yeah. So, oh, so that's, that's a whole cool. separate podcast. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, 
oh yeah, and Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, like she found my engagement ring when I left it in the bathroom at LA Stadium. Tracy, oh, wow. it's a whole thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it right? is a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. <laughs> these are, these are our great own. stories. I know, damn it, I should have saved that for the fun fact. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so GA assignment, general assignment for two years, and then I actually, this is full circle, my first beat ever was in 2012 I got the Jets beat 19 days after they traded for Tim Tebow who coincidentally has now back in the NFL um so yeah the last time yeah when I was starting out as a beat writer that's when he was he was relevant as a player um yeah so so yeah I did I did the Jets beat I think from 2012 to August 11th of 2017 and I remember that date because it was Jets training camp and I remember being like okay guys I'm gonna be a columnist in Buffalo now and people are like why are you gonna go to Buffalo um <laughs> but I went to the Buffalo News to be a columnist and <laughs> I was there uh six weeks before the Washington Post called and said we know you have a great job but what can we do to get you to come here and then two weeks That's later amazing. I left. So I, I spent a total of two months in Buffalo. Greatest two months ever. Um, but they understood. Buffalo. <laughs> love Buffalo. Um, love the Buffalo News. Like the Bills organization was great to cover. That was the height of Trump calling players, you know, uh, SOBs and like, you know, if you don't like it here, leave. And then players responding by kneeling or doing other things. So that right. was me being this black woman in Buffalo you know, her face on the front cover of the sports section, writing about politics and sports and talking to athletes and stuff like that. So it was a very interesting time on the field and off. Um, I would imagine then, that must have been incredible. Yeah. In so no, many different ways. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, the Buffalo News had created the columnist position for me because they understood that they wanted and needed just diff- a fresh set of eyes, different set of eyes, different perspective. And I think I gave them that for two glorious months. And then I went, <laughs> no hard feelings. I'm still friends with like the people that hired me. Like I just saw whenever I go to Buffalo, I try to meet up with them. So they understood awesome. that the Washington Post was at the time was my dream destination. Mm-hmm. That was the minute I got that job. I was like, look, mama, I made it. You know, I am That's somebody. Amazing. And then I was there for nine months, I think. Okay. Before Yahoo Sports came along and said, we know you have a great job. But we want to make you uh, a national columnist. And because for the Washington Post, I was covering as a beat writer, I was covering the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I started, it was the end of the Kirk Cousins. It was like, I think I started in November of his last season with them. So it was okay. like going into the offseason, Kirk, all of a sudden we're at the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, Alex Smith has agreed, you know, they're yeah. trading him. To, to Washington, it's like, whoa. I remember chasing Kirk Cousins all over the, the Mall of America trying to get a comment. All Which of us were like, also, coldest Super Bowl of all time. I don't, oh, I don't know. That, I actually don't know if that's a fact, but in my head, oh, no. that was the no, coldest so Super Bowl I, I mean, of all time. We, I literally stayed, I literally stayed in like Samaria across the street from the mall, but it was like two far to like walk but too close to drive it was like uh, but the it, it was like a 10 minute walk to the mall of america and my face was just frozen stiff like it was the worst experience ever well i tell the story that i was at, I was at mall of america you know doing stuff on radio row and then going back like kind of into minneapolis and i called an uber 
And it was like literally negative four degrees outside. And the Uber <laughs> calls me and he says, I'm almost there. Can you come outside? And I said, no. I cannot. No, sir. Yeah, please, when please you call me. Here, here. You let me. You let me I know. Like, yes. When you call me, I will run out. But I really apologize. But no, I cannot wait outside for you. That is not an that option. It's so funny. And and that Super Bowl, I actually was the pool reporter for the Eagles. I was the oh, okay. NFC pool reporter. So I was like the only um, full time like writer that was able to go to all the practices, you know, Michelle Tafoya and all those guys, like the TV broadcasters were able to go as well. But that, mm-hmm. that was cool. That was um, amazing. That, that was pretty dope. Um, there was like a fire alarm that went off during one of the practices, you know, they're playing Meek Mill nonstop. I remember the Saturday night before the Super Bowl, you know, they're all gathering around and they, you know, the punter like ends up breaking down the huddle, but you know, doing this like, you know, this is our moment kind of thing. And so it was cool to see, you know, that Saturday night practice moment, I think might have been the lead to my Super Bowl game story the next day because, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to witness it. Um, So, yeah. So, um, anyway. Oh, yeah. Washington Post covered covered Washington. And then I was there for nine months before Yahoo Sports came and said, want you to do some video, want you to be a national columnist, feature writer, whatever you want to do, we want you. That, I will say, was the toughest decision of my professional career to leave the Washington Post because in that the Post was the thing. You know, we all Mm -hmm. have that dream destination. If I can get there, then all of it would have been worth it. This struggle and this grind, like this will have proven to everybody that I'm great, right? Not great, Mm -hmm. but like that I was able to achieve this one goal, right? And I, I... but it's funny when I talk to, I, you know, I think when I think of like, how do you get my job? Right. Mm-hmm. I think the key to my story has been, I don't, I solicit a lot of advice, but in the end, I don't really listen to a lot of people. If that makes sense. Like I it feel does. like that, that moment, me deciding, you know, do I want to leave the Washington post? I had a lot of people that were sort of like, I don't know. You, get, you leave a legacy paper like the Post. Like, what's really going to happen with your career? Like, you know, you've got like, there's like family here. Like, we're like a family. Like, um, like Yahoo, like a website. Like, are you sure? Like, ugh, like, how long are you going to be there? Like, Yahoo's like always changing and whatever, whatever. Um, but I will say, I got the sort of feedback that um, from the people that I trusted was sort of. <laughs> I did have people that were like, "You got to do it." Because mm-hmm. you've got to get out of just newspaper. Like I'm a newspaper reporter. Like the industry's right. changing. Like you got to be able to be on camera. You got to be able to do podcasts. You got to be able to do radio. Um, and I credit one of my mentors, Jerry Madelon, who uh, was at ESPN for several years, as a, uh, and then went to NFL Network. Um, but he was one of the first people that told me, you know, to you've got to think of yourself as a storyteller. And it's funny because before you even said that, my LinkedIn bio actually says I'm a storyteller by any means necessary. And Mm -hmm. I think that is me not listening to people and storyteller by any means necessary literally sums up the journey. Um, Because I think that decisionally the post was a, a lot of it was about other people's fears, Mm -hmm. you know, that they were trying to put on me. Like it's sort of like, well, we all try to get to the Washington Post and we've done it. Why would you want to leave this? And for me, it was about, well, I could picture what two years working at the Washington Post covering the Washington football team would be like. 
I can't picture what two years working at, at Yahoo would be like. I have no idea. But that's the reason I want to go. Um, and so I got to, I got to do some on-camera stuff, a decent amount, but, you know, it was very, very, very rough <laughs> because I didn't have any experience. But it allowed me to write features and columns and, to, you know, develop sort of what I was doing at, at, in Buffalo, like continue mm-hmm. that, um, that sharing that perspective and, and, and using the reporting background, obviously, um, where you're able to walk in a locker room and go up to a guy and, and find context and, you know, get, get some insight um, and challenge yourself to, to, to think about things outside the box. Like I remember in Buffalo driving to practice and I saw a bunch of veterans holding up the American flag and signs. And I parked my car and then walked all the way back outside onto the street. and was like, what are you guys protesting? And they're like, Oh, players kneeling. We don't agree. Like we're veterans. We love the bills, but we're upset about it. So I talked to them, interviewed mm-hmm. them. Then I walked all the way back into the facility. And then when the locker room opened, I was like, Hey guys, there's some veterans outside protest. They love you, but they're protesting what you guys are doing. Like what, if you could go out there and talk to them, what would you want them to, what would you want them to understand? And so it was this, it ended up, was supposed to be a, a sports column, but it ended up being an A1 like centerpiece type thing because it was, it was all worlds colliding. It was sports and news and politics. And, and it's in real time, you love this team, but you don't like certain aspects of how players are, are expressing their opinion. Okay. Well, the players are saying, Hey, this is our opinion. This is why it would help if you understood where we're coming from. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And and Mm -hmm. after that, like guys, you know, they would stopped and chatted with the veterans because they were out there for several days. But that's, you know, that's just something like as a writer, as a storyteller, it's like you see things and you're curious. Like that curiosity is what drives us. Like, I want to know, like, what's going through your mind? Like, why would you be standing? It's four of you. Why would you be standing out here with, you know, like, are the players even noticing? Is this doing any good? What, what's your message? What would you want me to communicate to them? Because I'm about to walk in the building. Um, so that's, that's why amazing. I would say, that's, that's why. Like, I, and that's an incredible opportunity to be able to do that. Well, I, you know, I think because you gotta think, I do love covering sports. I do love covering football, but I do think, you know, these athletes are these three dimensional people. Like they have lives and stories and histories that go beyond what they do on Sundays and how they prepare for that game on Sunday. So if you're not tapping into that, I think you're doing them a disservice. If you're not trying to understand, you don't have to agree with, agree with what they think or how they act. But if you try to at least understand somebody's perspective, I think that at least goes a long way in trying to find, I don't know if you ever find a middle ground, but at least you can say, you know what, I get, based on everything he's been through, I get why this is important. My life's been completely different, but it makes sense. Um, and I think that's sort of our job, to get to be that conduit so fans can see a complete side, a, a more complete side of these athletes. And that's why I went to Yahoo, I think, to be able to do that sort of stuff. And I think I just, I want to stop you just for one second, because for people listening who are aspiring journalists or just starting out in their career, I think it's really important to to think about that and telling the story. And like you said, like that is our job. You are the conduit and you stopped and spoke to the veterans. Not every reporter probably did that day. 
and you were able to tell a story in a different way than some of your colleagues. And I think that's an important thing to remember too. Like find that story that's relevant and interesting and that people want to read and that also will separate you from the other people doing the same job. Yeah, I think that, and it's funny you mentioned that because for a long time when I started out, especially on the jet beat, I just wanted to blend in. I just wanted to be like all the guys on the beat. I just wanted to have the players, you know, look at me and see me as one of the guys. And it took mm-hmm. me a, probably a, definitely a full season, but going into my second, you know, within my second year on the beat, I think I realized, you know, what I'm not going to, I'm not going to succeed here. Uh, if I'm trying to be like, the dudes on the beat, you know, like I can't, mm-hmm. like, I don't have the same perspective as a middle-aged white guy. I just don't. Yeah. Um, and we are great friends. Like we, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. I think the, the stories that resonate with me, the way I see people is going to be different. Like I'm coming as the daughter of immigrant parents, somebody who's from Brooklyn, New York, somebody who went to public school and private school, somebody who did not study journalism undergrad. I was a psych major. So, like, I've always been interested in people on a deeper level. So, to me, covering sports, like, <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes I feel like an outcast in, in this journalism world because everybody loves Sunday. Everybody mm-hmm. loves game day. I, I like game day. But to me, the thing that has made me so sad about, aside, you know, from a professional setting, not, not what's happening in the world, but the pandemic, the toughest part about the pandemic has been not being in locker rooms and getting yeah. that face-to-face time with athletes and connecting with them, like connecting with them on, not that we're best friends, not that I think I'm super cool with any of these guys, but asking them how they're doing, how their wives mm-hmm. are, their kids, their moms. Like I enjoy talking to them about stuff beyond the game. So as much as I like covering games and I love, uh, you know, being able to watch playoff games in person and have the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, it's it's the day-to-day interactions that I sorely miss because that's how I connect with people. It's it's that face-to-face interaction. So they can really see me and see, like, um, that, like, I'm genuine or that, like, I'm actually concerned. It's so funny. I hear dogs in the background because I dog. threw <laughs> – So I was so nervous. We have a rescue dog named Marcella. And like she, we had like a cleaning woman, like uh, in the, cleaning the hallway or something like that. And I was like, she's going to totally bark on this podcast. And I was like, Chase is going to be mortified. So let me throw her in the bedroom. No, so- it's fine. I mean, I think COVID has like taken that out and Cappy and Sadie. So that's Cappy. I have two rescues as well. Sadie's usually quiet. Cappy, like who, by the way, is named after Colin Kaepernick. And so maybe it's because we were talking about the kneeling. She's like, I think I should chime yes, in here. I, gotta chime in here. I have a couple of things to say, but she, some podcasts, she's totally quiet. Some she'll say oh, something, but it's COVID kind of changed. I used to like put them in my room, but then with COVID, I was like, I think that's kind of part of it. I know, but she's also, she's part German shepherd and she's like 52 pounds. And like, we live in like a small apartment. I was just like, she will be so obnoxious when she hears that vacuum lady in the hallway. So, well, that's fair. That's her. <laughs> Cappy is 10 pounds. Okay. She, thinks she's, yes. she thinks she's 52 pounds, but she's 10 pounds. So she's, right. she's oh, a little God. less, but yeah, there she was. Barking. But she usually, and I have to say, it is funny 
I we used to have another podcast, and honestly, we would whenever we would talk about Colin Kaepernick, all this she would that's, bark, and it was she knows. amazing. She, she knows. knows. She's like, oh yeah, that's my guy. Um, <laughs> so you talked about me. Hey, there we go. She's like, I heard cap, and so I think you're talking about me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so that's beside. Thank you, Cappy. Actually, here's a fun story for you all. Um, last year, before the season started, it was the Wednesday before we were doing our Zoom press conference with Jimmy Garoppolo. And of course it was, you know, we're very much in the pandemic and everything's on Zoom and everyone's used. And it was my turn to ask my question and she started barking. And I had, I mean, Jimmy was such a good sport and he thought it was funny, but I like, had to keep apologizing and she kept barking and it was actually kind of She's hilarious. like, oh no, you will not silence me, woman. I will <laughs> she's be like, no, I have. She's like, I have questions too, okay? I want to know what <laughs> So there's a, there's, your, there's a fun story today. Kimberly, I'll send you the video. It's pretty funny. <laughs> no, please do. I love it. <laughs> but anyways, we're back. Yeah. This is fun um, This is such a fun conversation. Yeah. The, so yeah, the pandemic, man, it's just changed everything. Um, and that sort of segues into the last stop on the Kimberly Martin career tour. It's ESPN. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've been very, very fortunate uh, that all of these opportunities literally came to me. I was not out soliciting a new job. Trust me, Buffalo News, I was not. Um, <laughs> like, but I, I was covering, you know, we're talking about the Super Bowl. I was covering the Super Bowl, the Miami one. Um for Yahoo Sports, and we we're doing myself and two other women. We had a weekly football show, so we we're doing a pregame show from one of the hotels down on South Beach. And so, I actually had that week. I had an inter like it, it was funny. I sat down with ESPN, but it was on a Thursday, a Thursday morning of Super Bowl week. And I remember, you know, it was sort of explained like, Hey, you know, we're not really hiring right now, but, um, we just want to get to know you, like talk to you, see where you're at. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's great. Because I'm pretty, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm yeah. happy where I am. I've got to interview Dak Prescott actually right after this meeting for, for a Yahoo sit down. I think my profile picture might still be that like a snapshot from that sit down, but oh, um, awesome. on Twitter, but so in my head, I'm just like, okay, just, you know, shooting the crap with these guys and like, you know, if anything happens in the future, they'll keep me in mind. And so that was a Thursday. Went and did the Dak Prescott interview, covered the Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Monday, I'm at Newark Airport at Baggage Claim and I get a call that I have a job offer from ESPN. And so it was not, nothing about my career has really been planned. I mean, I guess in some respects, each stop I'm at, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna bust my butt. Like, I'm, I'm gonna give everything I have. Um, I'm as a writer. Like, I, I get people get enamored with like, oh, you're on TV all the time. I think being on TV is cool. It's great. In my heart, like, I'm a writer, and so the for me, when my name is on something, there's a lot of pride that I take in that. When I write a piece, you know, it's it's topics that mean a lot to me, and I I do not sleep when I'm writing these like profiles and features. Like I've written about Troy Aikman and Pam Oliver, uh, um, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys, their strength and conditioning coach. Uh, he had passed away last year. I want to say, you know, like yeah. I did a profile on him, um, you know, like all those pieces, like when people trust you to tell their story in print, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very, it is for me, it is very, um, overwhelming 
because you want to do them justice. And especially when it's a tough, tough topic, um, talking to the former Jets GM, Mike McCagnan and his wife about one of their best friends who was killed by her abusive husband across the street from where they live, you know, like in Houston, mm-hmm. like that, those kind of stories, when you're sitting with somebody who's in the sports capacity, a general manager, like, you know, you, and you're seeing him like wiping tears from his eyes talking about, you know, there's so many things we wish we had done differently. You know, like those are impactful mm-hmm. stories that you don't have to be a Jets fan. You don't have to care about Washington. You know, you don't have to care about the bills to sort of connect with those stories. So, so for me, like that's been the writing thing is, has been huge. Now, since I've been at ESPN, I literally had orientation March 9th to the 11th. I think the NBA shut down on the 11th or 12th, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I left Bristol, Connecticut, like, hey, okay. You know, we're, we were like elbow fisting, like, hey, yeah. this corona thing, not sure what's happening. But, See you, you know, in two weeks. Yeah, they were like, hey, so the draft is next month. We'll try to get you in studio. And then the next day, it was like the world stopped. And so, you know, I've said this in other interviews, like, I didn't know if I still had a job. You know, mm-hmm. like, if, yeah. like, I did, you know, that Super Bowl week, Thursday interview, Monday job offer, I didn't have an agent. I got an agent, like, two days later, who, mm-hmm. Alex Flanagan, amazing, um, former broadcaster. Um, I mean, she's just the epitome of just class and how to do the broadcasting job correctly. So when it came time to, like, oh, crap, I have, like, the actual TV offer, it's like I need an agent. She was the first person, and she had just transitioned to being an agent herself. So I was her first client. And so now she's got a bunch. Um, but I was her first baby. So oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty cool for her and I to be sort of on this 15-month. I've only been at ESPN like 15 months, I think. But that journey, starting during a pandemic, when I literally was like, okay, Alex, we have a contract, but uh, – do I have a job? Like I like not talk, right. like, you know, and, and so it's been wild to, to have to have a TV job and not have any TV experience <laughs> at all. And now you're on national TV. Um, but yeah, the pandemic forced me to sort of say like, it forced me to reach out to people within the ESPN ecosystem. Like, Hey, I literally just started. I don't know if I'll ever be back in Bristol again, Um, Mm -hmm. but wanted to introduce myself. So I was writing some columns, writing for the undefeated, writing for .com, doing some remote video features, you know, like did a feature on Kirk Cousins, like training, you know, in his parents, um, parents driveway down in Florida because because of the pandemic, he's like got all his equipment out. He's got his, his trainer on like the iPad. Um, You know, so you have to get creative. And I think all of us who are in, journalism and in sports you know you realize like okay how do you adapt like what okay what is this like how do we adapt to no access like how do you do a job so this has been a very difficult transition but it's also challenged me in ways that I did not think possible mm-hmm. so when like I did not when I was working in finance I was not thinking oh, well, I'm going to apply to grad school and hopefully be at ESPN one day. Like, that was not the plan. Um, so it's crazy to think that the writer at heart is now on TV and she doesn't have as much time to write right now. But, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's like this wild thing. But it's cool because I think that's what our industry is. Like, it keeps changing and evolving. So how do you evolve and change and adapt with it, you know? And I think – it brings up a couple things that I want to ask you about and go back to. One of which is you said, you know, you weren't 
you weren't out there looking for other jobs. These jobs came to you. And I, I think obviously your work speaks for itself and spoke for itself. So I want our listeners to, to remember that, that sometimes if you're working and doing work that you're proud of and is good and you're feeling like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I still want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. And I feel like I'm not finding the opportunities like to remember that your work is always going to speak for itself and that if you keep doing good work, these opportunities will come. Yeah, because I think, you know, people, the biggest thing, people here, I'm a sports writer. It's like, oh, so you get to go to all the games. You just like sit there and like watch, like, it's like watching on TV. It's like, mm, no, no, a little, bit, a little bit trickier. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's actually a job. Um, I, you know, people think it's like easy. And I got to tell you, this job is so much harder than people realize, especially when you are starting out, when you are covering high school football on a Friday night and nobody's giving you stats and you're keeping stats and keeping running and all this stuff and got to get the box for yourself. You know, everything about this job, like, yes, covering the Yankees has been great. It was great. You know, I enjoyed writing Yankee game stories, but imagine, you know, I've also worked in finance where nobody knew who I was. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And there weren't people standing outside my cubicle telling me I sucked or, you know, com- like saying, oh, I could do your job, you know, but that's yeah. the trade-off when you get a little bit of, and it's weird because I still, ugh, my husband and I had this conversation, actually we had it yesterday, just sort of how, when you're on television, like I still see myself as that, um, that intern who started at the Bergen Record who did not know anything about journalism, but like had a passion for writing. Um, you know, and so when people, like, apparently some, a neighbor of mine, like, in our condo, like, know, like commented, commented to another neighbor, like, oh, do you know she's on ESPN? And, like, I found that, and it was just, like, so weird that, like, people in real life actually are seeing me on TV. It sounds so <laughs> dumb. But, no, but, but this, I completely get it. I Because I'm just me. I'm just, like, me and literally how I act, like, on this podcast is how I'd act on TV. Like, the eye rolls mm-hmm. that I do. I'm from New York City. Like, I like like all of that stuff, talking with my hands, like, all of that is me. Um, and it's not an act. And so I see myself as just, wow, this is kind of crazy. Like, I'm an ESPN. Like, that's not – that wasn't planned. Um, but – I don't think people, people just, I think people assume like, oh, it was just so easy. She just like got on TV one day. It's like, no, buddy, like this has been a long journey. Like uh, people know me straight from ESPN, but like there's been a whole writing journalism career and growth process that led me to this. Like, I'm glad, you know, I didn't come out of school and get that ESPN job right away. Like, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I say wanting to cover Yankees is great. But you got to cut your teeth and, and hone your skills and, like, work on your craft. Like, you got to work on it. Because when you are covering the Yankees and you are writing that game story and you make a mistake, like, that, it's on such a bigger platform. Yes. Then when I was – you know what I mean? Like, it, it crushed me to make mistakes in my high school sports copy. But at least you're dealing with – you're apologizing to a teenager or a coach or you're saying, like, you know what, I'm sorry, we'll run a correction. Or, like, hey, I'm sorry, I did it you know, I used the wrong word and it's all good. But when the stakes are higher or the, the spotlight is brighter, when, you know, when you're covering the Yankees or covering a pro sport um, or you're on national television, it's like, we are just at the end of the day, people just trying to do our best and we mm-hmm. do make mistakes. We do use the wrong words. We do stammer. I have people like that ask me on Twitter, like, why do you blink so much? And I'm like, 
uh, either my mascara is in my eye or the lights are really bright on me or like my eyes twitching because I like was up at three in the morning trying to like right. get ready for these production meetings. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just kind of crazy. The, the criticisms and feedback that come with the gig. And I don't think people realize that you get a lot of, a lot more negative comments sometimes and positive ones. But again, you know, like tough skin is the only thing that's going to get you through this, through this business and just a, a strong sense of self. Like I'm not perfect, but I know I'm pretty good at what I do. And that's, and I think that's the place you have to get to because none of us are perfect. Um, and, and you're right. The tough skin is so important because people do, they say things that they would never say in person. Mm-hmm. Like no one that you're sitting having dinner with is going to say, Kimberly, why do you blink so much? Like who <laughs> says that? Like who even feels the need to say that? Um, and people, and it's just having that tough skin that it just doesn't matter. You know, I've been on things where the comment, like I used to sometimes guess on this YouTube show. And of course the comments, the girl said this, the girl said that, well, the girl has a name, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Mm-hmm. But the girl said it wrong. The girl said his name wrong. Yeah. Why don't you guess, why don't you get a girl on there that knows what she's talking about? You know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just unbelievable. And, and it's stuff that we have to deal with. And I think people do discount how tough that can be. Uh, and I think also discount how it, we're very lucky we do work in a really amazing industry and mm-hmm. yes, we do get to watch games, but it's not easy by any means. And no. game day is not like you show up at one o'clock for the one Oh five kickoff and then and you're, you're out, out the door. Right. right, right. Like right. that's right. just not free gaming outside, like right yeah. before kickoff. Let's do a quick tailgate yeah, no. and then we'll meet you in yeah. there. Um, but you know, I have friends all the time. They'll be like, Oh, I'm actually, I'm going to be at the game. Can you get a drink out yes. there? And I'm like, right. no, what? No, right, right. but they don't know. I mean, it's not their, you know, they, they don't know, but um, you know, it's just, it's just funny. And I think people don't realize that. So I'm glad, I'm glad that we are highlighting that. And and you said something um, and I was going to ask you about this, but you did join ESPN in March in 2020 mm-hmm. and you talked a lot about adaptability. And I just wondered if you could go a little bit more into that because it has been difficult, obviously in our profession, the not being able to be in person the locker room has been very difficult been very difficult. I think people in a lot of professions have had to adapt. We had the dog barking earlier, mm-hmm. but how, how have you kind of adjusted that and just kind of taken it in stride and found a way to still do your job in a way that's authentic to you? You know, what's funny. I think I have the pandemic. The only upside to it for me has been, it allowed my bosses or people at ESPN to see me in a different light than maybe what they intended when they brought me in so what I mean by that is again you start a job and you have you really barely have any contact with the people who hired you because in the midst of the pandemic everybody's freaking out about trying to get masks trying to get food like I remember being in a deep panic about trying to order groceries online or or trying Mm -hmm. to go to the supermarket and and so in the meantime it's sort of like my bosses were just trying to figure out how do we even just put on the everyday content that we have, like these shows when, you know, we have a pandemic going on. So the thought of, well, we just hired Kimberly, we have to find a spot for her, that goes out the window. They're like, okay, the shows that are actually on right now, like how do we keep them going? So then Kimberly had to get creative and that's why I had, I like because when I talked to them, writing was sort of like the, yeah, 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 if you have time, but you probably won't have time to write. That was okay. sort of the conversation. But because of the pandemic, now I wasn't on TV. I wasn't in a studio. 
So mm-hmm. I was able to reach out to dot com editors and editors of Undefeated and say like, hey, I know like I was hired for, as a TV NFL reporter, but I'd love to write for you guys. And they're like, oh, we'd love to have you write. So I would pitch some things. Um, and, and, you know, I wasn't hired to be a columnist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like right. That, that was not sort of, but I know that, hey, what, and I remember sitting in my, in like, I guess, interview and being like, I'm uh, like, I'm a writer. Like, I'm going to figure out how to juggle it all here because I, I do think I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't tap into that skill. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know that that's, a lot of people want to be on TV. A lot of people, there are people that are way better on TV than I am, um, being that I've just been doing it for 15 months. But I, with you can say anything you want about me, but I, my eyeshadow always looks good, and I know how to write. Those are two things that you can say about me. So uh, I, I definitely use the pandemic as an opportunity to sort of stretch those muscles. And, you know, as a reporter, it's like you're able to text and call – the, the tough part for me was, even though we're in a pandemic, still having to travel for games. Mm-hmm. So you're flying to different cities every week. You know, you're on planes with masks or whatever, hoping you don't catch COVID. And then you get to stadiums. You know, we're just joking about people think, like, you have time to tailgate and stuff. Like, yeah. I'm at stadiums, like, 7.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock, depending on if we're in a different time zone, maybe 6 a.m. And you literally are walking through the stadium and it's eerily quiet. It's just the workers setting up concession stand people, cleaners, and you walk through the tunnel and you see the like stadium, like you just see the field and like the stadium just empty and that's quiet. Like it's such a beautiful moment every Sunday mm-hmm. when I, when I walk into an empty stadium, but you're dead tired because you've gotten two hours of sleep. Um, and, and you have to, you know, give reports, you know, pregame reports on whether it's fantasy stuff, whether it's sports center, whether it's countdown. Um, and you like have not been in a locker room, you know, and the, the challenge for me has been, you know, my colleagues have no complete, have experienced ESPN in non pandemic times. They've been able to be on sidelines. They've been able to go mm-hmm. up to Odell and been like, Hey, how's your hamstring? How's your knee? Like, Hey, Saquon, how you feeling? Like, Hey Brady, like what's going on? Like blah, 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 blah they can introduce themselves to coaches. Like I have not had any of that. Like all, everything I've been able to do at ESPN has been completely remote or me on zoom or me having to make connections with people on the phone. And mm-hmm. that is not at all easy, especially because at ESPN, I mean like we pride ourselves on we're trying to give you good content like our standards are not going to fall off just because we're in a pandemic. We know it's not easy, but so my bosses still have the same expectations, you know what I mean? And, right. and they should, but it's also sort of like, okay, <laughs> like I've never, you know, never um, been in the bears locker room. All right. Uh, but I'm covering this game. So how do I get some insight? You know, you got to get creative mm-hmm. with like who you can call, who you can lean on, what questions to ask, like stuff like that, because I literally don't, it'll be great when I can experience working at ESPN, like all the perks of that people think come with being on TV and being like an, a national NFL reporter, the sideline mm-hmm. thing. No, like I, I don't know what any of that feels like. So it'll be great to, to experience that. But for the time being, I just sort of have to cut myself some slack at times where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, 
like you can't like you're not going to be the best at everything 15 months into a job that you've never done before and you know going from writing to to full-time tv like that's not easy um and also meeting you know when there's stories that break on the 49ers or, or the packers or the bears or the browns or the dolphins or the patriots it's like you're expected to have info on all that stuff like that's mm-hmm. the goal like so anything happens you're able to break it you're able to add the context the insight it, it takes a, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It takes a while, like, for, like, the really good, you know, Adam Schefter wasn't Adam Schefter when he first, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when yeah, we first start, absolutely. like, none of us are, are finished products when we first start jobs. And I think if you can want to get better, if you can work to get better, but also not beat yourself up in the process that you aren't amazing on day one. I feel like that's real important because this industry <laughs> will beat you down by itself. You know what I mean? Like yes. you can't do that. Um, the self-sabotage and you can't break your own spirit because there are plenty of people, whether it's on social media or competitors that will, that will, um, you know, revel in that. So. I think, and I think that's really excellent and important advice because there'll be, there will be plenty of people <laughs> right? who do that. There'll be unfortunately the girl said this. The girl, the girl, tell the girl, yeah, right. Tell the girl, and so and and there will be you know plenty of that, and and people will say things. You know, people have called me trash on Twitter. People have made lovely comments. We did a giveaway a few years ago on tickets, and someone suggested there was something else we give away with the tickets, like Mm -hmm. things that are just so horrifying that you would never say to someone, but you can't. You just can't let it bother you. It's really hard, but, and you're, and I, I should, I should take that back. We're human. So sometimes it will bother you, but it's having that skin and remembering these people do not know you. And it's real easy to say something on a screen. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Life. I've had people comment. I can't believe Kimberly said this on air at, you know, and adding ESPN and adding Mike Greenberg and being like, you guys should get rid of her or whatever. Oh, God. Like, clearly you have, you know, obviously we know why you have your job, you know, like that sort of thing. And I think yeah. that's the stuff that people um, don't, don't realize that um, you're, it may seem like one comment from one person, but imagine it's, it could be multiple comments from multiple people, you know, yes. over time you're just like, dude, really just chill out now. And I want to, I want to go, I want to ask you about first take her take, but first, because we're talking about this, I have a a question that I ask a lot of our guests with all these negative comments from essentially from trolls or people who really don't have your best interest at heart. At any point in your career, did you receive a criticism that actually was helpful from someone that you respected and maybe was hard to hear at the time, but really helped you as a reporter? Oh my gosh. Um... (laughs) Um, gosh, I'm sure. Um, you know what's interesting? I bring up, I brought up my husband earlier, like because he's a sports writer. We actually mm-hmm. worked at Bergen Record together, and he was the per- we were friends at the time. But he was the person who convinced me to go to Newsday. He was like, "You got to okay. take that job." But we've I've known him since like 2006. So okay. he like to me he was like when I show him stories where I'm like, what do you think of this lead? Like, and he's like, nah, you can, you know, that's not good. Like, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it like, he's the tough love person that okay. I, I actually need. And he's a person I trust. I think because you realize 
a lot of people are just coming into your life now. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are just noticing you now. But I think we all can appreciate the people, the day ones who have known us from the beginning, who understood when you didn't know what you're doing and saw you sort of mature and grow. So I trust him implicitly. And because he's a good writer, when I show him stuff and he's like, you, you, like when he says, like, I don't even need to say anything. I'm like, damn it. Yeah, he's right. I really, this is, this lead is like a B. I know I can do better. I just, I'm just too lazy right now or something. But it's, it's that like, there was actually a story I wrote when I was on the Jets beat. I had had lunch with Darrell Revis um, and his manager at the time. And like, we're eating at this Italian restaurant. And I like wanted the lead. This is going to sound stupid, but it, there's a point. And I've written the lead about, like, you know, Terrell Revis, like, you know, twirling his spaghetti, like, on his foot, you know. And it was this, uh-huh. like, I'm showing you that I'm at lunch with Terrell Revis, and this is what he's eating. Like, haha, like, I'm here, you're not, right? Uh-huh. And I showed it to Jeff, and he was like, yeah, no, that, like, you already know, like, that's, that's not what you're doing. And I'm like, no, but this is what you're supposed to do when you get like exclusive access with an athlete. You're supposed to do the like show, show everybody that I'm here and you're not. And he's like, but that's, he's like, but that's what's wrong with business. It's not about mm. you having lunch with De- Darrell Revis. It's like, what did, what did, what came out of that conversation? Right? So this mm-hmm. is why he's such a great editor because I think in our industry, we conflate like, Oh, like, I, like my coolness is derived from how well I know athlete X. And at the right. end of the day, I feel like I, I'm, I, I'm trying to push back against that because I think having the information is great. That's what we're being paid for as NFL reporters and stuff. Never think that like you are buddy buddies with these athletes. Like it's on a different level. Like you may know them, know their families and stuff, but you never really know people because right. the amount of time you get to spend with them seriously is, is very minuscule in the grand scheme of things. And so in that moment, it was, it was like, I was right. I wrote the original lead sort of as like, look all you other people on the jet beat. This is what I was doing that you could, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it, mm-hmm. and, I feel like that's where we can get tripped up because it really, it it was this like come to Jesus moment of like, why are you in this business? It's not about, I don't like being the story. Reporters shouldn't be the story in my mind. At least that's how I was coming up. Yeah. So it's about, so it's about him. And so the original, I did end up using like him and the spaghetti and all this stuff. This is what we're eating like later on in the story. But the lead of it was Reva's talking about how, he journaled and kept like this purple like spiral notebook that where he wrote like goals and like things that he wanted to work on and you know you're like you're one of you're the top cornerback in the league like what like what you have you're telling me you have like a spiral notebook that you like jotting down and I'm like what color is it and he's like uh it's purple why and it's like but you know he's like why do you mm-hmm. care like that's such a silly detail but I just got such a kick out of Jarrell Weavis has a purple spiral notebook and it's talking about how he's never satisfied, like how even when he's one of the greatest to ever play the game, there's still things that stick in his mind. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. like that whole, that whole piece was about like him and his journey and what he's trying to do. And so I think it was just a good moment about like, just remembering like, you're not the story. Like your right. job is to tell other people's stories. And that's why I got into it. I, and I think that, is really important. You're not the story. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that is, 
if there's like advice we can give that I think is a very important piece of advice. You are not the story. We're here to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is very hard in this business. And I think there is a lot of like what you talked about before, but if you can go back to that, your, and I don't don't mean like you personally, but Mm -hmm. universally you, your work work will be better. If you remember that, that you're telling someone's story and it's your job to tell it kind of going back to what we talked to in the beginning, being trusted to tell someone's story Mm -hmm. and tell it well and tell it differently and give a full picture of a person and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a little, I do want to talk about First Take, Her Take, uh, your new podcast this year, which congratulations, because it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and what that experience has been like um, and tell our listeners all about it. It's So yes, um, First Take, Her Take is, is a podcast. We're actually, I was actually approached, I don't know, maybe like December and, you know, sort of like, hey, would you be interested in doing a podcast with Chanae Gumke? Like, you know, WNBA player, host of Chanae Go, like all this stuff. And it based, and I was pitched on we're get, just you two talking about topics that we talk about on first tape. Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds cool. Whatever. All right. Again, when I talk about things that were not, like when I was hired, like a podcast was not, like that was not like in, in the works or anything like that when I was hired. But I think in being able to, to adapt and be creative and be on TV a bit and show some personality, I think it was a good time of they're coming up with new programming based on mm-hmm. other shows leaving and, and they're looking for something else. And then, so it was myself today and Charlie Arnold, who used to be at uh, WWE and now is with us full time at ESPN, but we started on inauguration day and, oh, okay. um, it's wild because it, you know, I'm envisioning a sports talk show and what has mm-hmm. it sort of evolved into is sports culture. I mean, the, the goal was always sports culture, our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. But you and I just talked, Tracy, you and I just talked about how we're not the story. The right. interesting thing is the podcast, we talk a lot about our lives and mm-hmm. that is very challenging for me. Because the whole point of my existence is to tell other people's stories. Like, I don't, I know I must be, be rambling on this podcast, but I don't talk about myself very often. And I don't reflect a lot. So, on this podcast, we talk about dating relationships, like, um, you know, just whether it's like different sports slash celebrity stuff. But we talk about, you know, the same first take topics, but it's always from our perspective. And you get a dose of our personalities. And so it's been really interesting because that's an area where I haven't been very comfortable and I've gotten mm-hmm. more comfortable. Um, also, it's like I talked about Jeff, like Jeff and I have been married. I don't know. I think July will be seven years, but we've been together like 13 or something. Okay. Like that, you know, compared to Chanae and Charlie who were dating or sort of getting into new relationships. So like, I'm like the voice of reason, the person who's like, what'd you guys do on the weekend? Well, I went on a date. I'm like, hey, we, like, Hubs and I were, like, on the couch, like, chilling with the dog. And, like, and to me, like, that's perfect because during the week, we're running around and busy with our jobs that, like, the weekend mm-hmm. is our time to sort of, like, relax. So it's been this weird thing because I'm like, we're just married. Like, there's nothing, like, it, 
marriage is cool, but it's not, like I'm having <laughs> wild, like crazy dating stories. I'm not meeting random guys in bathrooms. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I'm like, God, am I like boring? I'm like, I don't think I'm boring. I think I'm a lot of fun, but it's, it's, Oh, you're definitely a lot of fun. I can tell. <laughs> Thank you. But it's it's challenged me in, in a, a lot of ways. And also, the pod has also challenged Chanae because now she opted out of WNBA last year, but she her season just started. She plays for LA Sparks. Mm-hmm. So she um, actually, last week's pod, we had to announce that Chanae, is, her plate is crazy busy. So she is stepping down from the pod. Because she's got practices that she's trying to practice, shoot-arounds, games. Like, she's missing her own radio show, Chanae Golick, to do that. Um, so, Chanae taped her last episode with us. And this week, our new co-host will be on, the oh. lovely Elle Duncan. So Amazing! So, we are very excited about Elle. I mean, it, we get it. Like, Chanae, it's, like, so hard. And we, like, so, we, like... We, like, teared up and, like, cried on our last episode. Um, because, you know, this is – Charlie, Chanae, and I did not – I think they knew each other before. But mm-hmm. I was new to ESPN, like I said, during the pandemic. So I had never – I still haven't met them in person yet. Um, oh, right, of course. I actually saw Elle during orientation when I was getting, like, my makeup touched up for my, my like, headshots. Like, I happened to see her in the makeup room, and she was like – so a year ago, she's like, if you need anything, like, feel free to reach out. So it's crazy that, you know, a year later, we're about to team up on the podcast together. Because I think she is just, like, such such a sweetheart. So smart and so funny. So even though we are losing one sister, we are gaining another sister. So it's going to be really cool. I'm very excited. Charlie and I are very excited to um, for the next iteration of First Take, Her Take. So, yeah, that's a little exclusive. That's a little nugget for you. Um yeah, that so. is awesome. Yeah. Well, and I think also you bring up a, a good point in talking about, you know, we are not the story, but different platforms and different mm-hmm. pieces of content are different. So if you're writing a story on Revis, then you're not the story. But mm-hmm. if it's a podcast, like on a podcast, people want to hear your story. That's why they listen. That's why we all listen to podcasts. It's to hear people tell a story, whether it be about you, depending on what the, you know the podcast is. And like with Get My Job, it's about you. It's about the guest. And I, it's funny because I always am self-conscious about it. Maybe this is my own thing that I need to work out. But sometimes when I tell a story about me, I'm very cognizant of that because get mm-hmm. my job isn't about me. It's about the guest. But sometimes people want to hear your story and it's a conversation. So you kind of, it goes back to adaptability in the industry and kind of knowing where you're at, knowing what's authentic to you and knowing what your job is in that particular moment, I feel mm-hmm. like are important pieces. Oh, for keep. sure. For sure. You're so right. Can you take us through a life? The uh, Excuse me, not a life. Can a you life? take us through a day? Did, did, did I not? You, did, you took us through a life, but I want you to do it one more time. <laughs> Can you take us through a day in the life of Kimberly A. Martin? So uh, because every day is different. I'll just say um, on game days when I have uh, to be at a stadium, like you literally are at the stadium, like seven, between seven and seven thirty. Got your mm-hmm. first hit, maybe 745, 8. You know, you tape something for a sports center. And then, you know, 845 might tape another thing. You got, like, fantasy hit, maybe at 10. In the meantime, again, like, you're not allowed in the locker room. You're not allowed to have face-to-face interactions with right. people. So you're trying to, like, text, whether it's PR people trying to confirm something or a team exec or a player on their way to the stadium. Like, hey, you know, are you playing? 
hey, like what, you know, what was your message to the team? All this stuff, um, you know, you're trying to text and make calls in between your hits. Um, you may have another live hit at 11.15 and you've got like countdown. NFL countdown is our big thing. So you've got a couple of those hits. And then I tell you, by the time the game actually starts, I'm not going to lie, because ga- the night before games, I don't sleep. I'm, I may sleep. The most I might sleep is four hours, but that's okay. pushing it. It's usually like three hours because, A, I'm nervous about oversleeping because mm-hmm. um, you don't. I understand because, that. You know, like, and I get up probably, I probably wake up like three o'clock or four o'clock on game days. Because okay. I'm nervous about, um, you know, getting to the stadium. Some, especially with COVID, are sort of like, okay, which entrance? What what's the protocol? Where's my crew? Do I, you know, walk, mm-hmm. <laughs> walking through the stadium? Sometimes the media entrance is on one side, and where we have to set up as a crew, like our spot is completely on the opposite end of the stadium. So I yes. factor in Uber times, like if I've got a car, like or if I need an Uber. Um, all those things. So it's like, I'm up at like four or three, probably three. And so that I can factor in, you know, all that stuff between Mm -hmm. getting ready, doing makeup. If something happens with my outfit, um, can I get coffee at, you know, 5am in the hotel lobby and then walking or getting to the stadium. So by the time the game kicks off at one, I like want to go to sleep in all seriousness. (laughs) So like you're in, I'm in the press box, like trying to find, like a candy bar or coffee or soda. Mm-hmm. It's like so terrible. Like, cause you're just trying, and then, you know, you watch four hours of game and then you've got a, before the fourth quarter is even over. So like with eight minutes left in the game, sometimes, because again, like you've, you've got to try to get, you know, you've been during the fourth quarter, you've been texting both teams, PR staffs saying like, Hey, if you guys win, can I get, you know, here are the three players I want, whatever. Right. And again, COVID, like you're relying on the PR team to grab the guy and bring them to this particular area. And so now with eight minutes left, like you're racing with all your luggage again, Um, you know, like your bag that's got your makeup, that's got, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, everything. uh, Everything, your whole life story. And and then so you're running down to this one part in the um, stadium. So you're walking through fans in some stadiums that did have fans. Um, the weather, like I covered a lot of Steelers, Ravens, a lot of AFC North games. I covered, I was in Cleveland quite a bit. So the weather, like you're in rain, snow, sleep, like, um, during the season. So got your umbrella, you're trying not to hit anybody in the face with it and you're just waiting and you're watching the game. And then, you know, the team that you thought might win. My actually, you know, like I, yeah, yeah, I remember I was in Buffalo and I was covering Bills Rams like week two or three, and it looked like the Rams were going to win, and then we were set up like right by the Rams bench, like okay, talk to their PR guy, like okay, they're bringing so and so, blah blah blah. Josh Allen does some Josh Allen stuff. Next thing you know, Bills have won at the end of the game. So now we're like, all right, scratch that. Now we're racing up all these steps in the stadium, running all the way around. Now we're like, oh crap, uh, the Bills. Like, hey, like Buffalo. Can we get Josh Allen on like a Zoom call? You know, so yeah, it's just a lot. Game day is a lot of chaos because you're trying to get um, the best like pregame nugget you can to convey to the audience. Like if it's the weather, 
if it's, hey, so-and-so is warming up. But it's hard sometimes to see who guys are because they have masks on on the field. You know, you, you assume based on body types, you know, that kind of stuff. And right. then the game is like the first moment I have to sit down all day and load up on caffeine. And then you got to do some post-game interviews. And so you probably leave in like seven, seven-ish about to go back to the hotel. And uh, yeah. then you're flying out the next morning. So it is a, it is a long, it's a long day. Long like, day. Yeah, I'm like, oh, and that's, a, and that craziness is about to kick off very soon. It's kind of wild. I'm excited. It is, though. but I also kind of can't wait. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> um, well, this, this has been so good and so much fun, uh, which is perfect because that leads me right into five fun facts, <laughs> which, um, we might, we're going to do it actually a little differently today, but without further ado, five fun facts with Kimberly A. Martin. All right, Kimberly. So we're going to ask your I, there's no we here. It's me. I'm going to ask you the five questions that I ask everybody. But first, I think you have a couple fun facts you want to share with us. I do. I do. I do. Um, okay. So number one, people that know me know I'm afraid of heights. But your listeners would be surprised to know that I actually have gone tandem skydiving. I, oh Tracy, have jumped out of a plane. Yes, <gasps> it is true. I am so badass. It's not even funny. Um, again, That's incredible. <laughs> I know. And again, wow. it's another thing that goes back to my husband. We were just started off dating, and he really wanted to go. And I was like, oh, I love this guy. Fine. And I agreed. And then the morning of, I was like, oh, my God, please, Lord, let, like, a hurricane blow us away so I don't have to go, like, skydiving. <laughs> And turns out, um, yeah, it was terrifying and pretty amazing. So I would love to do it again, but I don't know if I should push my luck. So that's, that's the first thing. Well, that's incredible that you've done that at all. That's amazing. Uh, that number, is a fun fact. <laughs> so number two fun fact. I actually love to color. Okay. And I don't oh. mean, I don't mean all this cool new age, like adult coloring books, all of the funky little, no, I want to go into like CVS or Walgreens and pick up like coloring books that you would buy, like your four year old, like niece or something. And Amazing. like, like, like I am all about Crayola, like 64 pack of crayons, like markers, colored pencils. Like I'm very serious about coloring and I've actually asked my husband to color with me and it drives me nuts if he like colors outside the lines a bit. So I'm very <laughs> like anal like, about stuff like that, like OCD, but I, but I do, I do like art in general. So like, you know, I'm not very good. I'm better than the average person, but I do love to draw, but it's, again, it's, it's like writing. It's one of those skills. If you do not practice um, and draw like consistently, like I definitely have lost some of my skills. So um, I'm not great, so great at drawing anymore, but coloring always makes me feel a lot better. Um, and number three, that actually segues to number three, because speaking of art, I love makeup. I'm obsessed with YouTube, Instagram videos about makeup. If I could, I would go to makeup school in my free time, but I don't have free time. Like I would love, <laughs> like I honestly, I just love it. I, I see it as an extension of art and coloring. So and, and the reason I mentioned my eyeshadow earlier, the reason I bring it up and I'm so prou proud of it is because I had to do an NFL, oh, well, I had to do an NFL network shoot like a hundred years ago at six in the morning from like Lucas Oil Stadium during like the combine. And I was still working at Newsday 
And the girl did not have, she was like, do you have like a makeup kit? Like I don't have any colors for you. And I was like, whoa, what? what? So what? I'm on TV at six in the morning looking ghastly. Tracy, never again. In that moment, I was like, can't do it. So um, wow, I actually had not worn makeup before we got married in 2014. I had not worn makeup before 2014. Like I did not know what eyeliner and all like mascara, like did none of that. So if you look at my Instagram photos from a certain time, it was not cute. But <laughs> from that moment, I was like, you know what? Let me practice because I never want to have that moment where I go to do a TV thing and the girl is like, the makeup artist is like, I don't have your shape. And I must tell you, I'm so proud of myself because in a pandemic, when Kimberly has to be on TV, Kimberly is, she has to beat this face. So it's, I'm the makeup, I'm the hair. Like I haven't been in studio all, like I'm. Yeah, so it's you. Yeah. You're, so you're the, you're HMU, your hair and makeup. See, and so I'm very proud of myself that I at least can put myself together well enough where I get compliments. People call in on our podcast, like hotline and are like, Kimberly, what are the secrets to your like eyebrows and like your eye makeup? So that makes me feel good because I was a total tomboy. Um, so That's yeah, makeup number four, I love, love, love animals and we love what we, what was, what was it you oh, love? I love animals. So animals. yes. Now I, we have a lot, my husband and I <laughs> live in a two bedroom condo and we have a rescue dog, which, um, she's actually my number five fun fact, but we have rescue <laughs> dog. We have two bunnies and we oh. have a turtle. Wow. The two bunnies, you do love animals. I do. The two bunnies, although we're not, I'm not very high on them right now because they're always trying to fight each other. Um, oh. But yeah, bunnies are not the like sweet listen, little creatures that listen, we've been led to believe. Talk about a separate podcast. These are a second pair of rabbits. <laughs> the first two absolutely adored each other. And when they passed away separately, I was just like devastated. And I was like, oh, I want two more bunnies. These two, oh my gosh, spawns from Satan. I don't know what's wrong with them. But they are so not like the other Sponsors. two. They, they hate each other and they're always trying to fight each other. And like, it's it's insane. But no, bunnies are, are a handful. They're a lot. Before, listen listeners, before you go out and try to buy a cute bunny rabbit for your kid or again, your niece, your nephew, don't do it. Um, because yeah. it is a commitment. Um, and yeah, the turtle, my husband actually found the turtle when he was eight years old in Aww. the park. He thought it was a rock, brought him home, head popped out. And, and it was behold, a turtle. 30 years later or whatever, like the turtle's still alive. And we actually had a lawyer tell us that we probably need to write him in our will because the turtle will outlive us both. It, so, it will. Yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, it will outlive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Turtles live like forever. Yes. So that is our menagerie of animals. And lastly, my fun fact is that our rescue dog, Marcella, we actually adopted her from Turks and Caicos. We were on oh, vacation. Wow. The last vacation we have taken was July, uh, was June 2019. Mm -hmm. And we went to Turks and Caicos. And uh, it was just supposed to be fun, five days, beach, whatever. And they have a rescue place on the island. The goal was to just socialize a dog. Like you are able to go pick out a dog, walk it on the beach, bring it back hours later. You can adopt, but that was not our plan. And then we brought her back and the woman was like, would you like to adopt her? And of course, first I'd never had a dog and my husband grew up with dogs and he was like, eh, sure, what the hell? And I'm like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, okay, we have no dog food at home. We have no, like, I don't know what a dog is. Like what, like, how do you raise a puppy? Like what is happening? We ended up meeting her on Saturday afternoon. We took her home on the United flight Monday morning. And 
like on like she sat on my lap the entire flight took her through customs it was the easiest thing and oh, so wow. that's how we ended up with marcella so i i we love rescues she's a handful but um rescues like especially during this pandemic like having a dog it's been like a really really big special treat for me so yeah she's my baby they're the dogs really are the best you should have told me earlier tracy i had no idea i'm just finding this out my whole life i didn't know yeah, they're there. I should have told you because they're really the best. <laughs> I, these dogs are they're just the best. And people know we had I had Sarah Spain on this podcast, and she's also a very big dog person. And mm-hmm. we bonded over. We talked about it a long time. I'm sure, the listeners were like, "Okay, can we <laughs> dogs?" But just really love dogs. So I think it's it is the best, and they are like they do become your baby. Your and like the unconditional love of a dog is just. Oh. They're Nothing amazing. Better. And during the pandemic, I do think it really does. It made a difference. It made a lot of difference for people. So, you know, I, I get that. Well, I mean, your five fun facts were so good <laughs> that I just, you know, the only one that I'm going to ask you in the normal set of five fun facts, because you talked about getting up so early on game day, and not sleeping mm-hmm. is what is your go-to coffee order? Okay. I'm so glad you asked me this because <laughs> I, Tracy, you don't understand. I've not had any coffee today and I, um, oh my God. How I, are you I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like so excited to talk to you. But my go-to every day, no lie, hot venti flat white with five shots. That I have. Whoa. Every, yeah. I've had every day. And so again, we have two Starbucks near us, which is amazing. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, the girl, you know, the baristas would be like, I'm sorry, what? And I'd be like, five shots. And they're like, did you say five? And I'm like, yeah, girl. Five. If you Let's only take- knew what I was dealing with, you would understand the five shots. So five shots. Yes, that is. Uh, so when we're done this podcast, I'm actually taking myself to Starbucks and getting my venti flat white with five shots. It's and it, this is how much I drink it. Like I could drink. I've had. I've actually ordered on bad days. I've ordered a venti with five and then asked for a tall, which comes with like two shots, and had oh that like in the afternoon or at night if I, you know. So, um, yeah, that tells you a little bit about how much I'm dragging around in life. Because I have, have you ever been in the, have you ever been in the Seattle Seahawks press box? I have not. Oh, you know what? I have, but like years ago, I don't even remember it anymore. They well, they Seahawks? have a little well, Starbucks in the press box. Do and they? It is. They did they not do. have that years ago, did they? They do. And it is next level <sighs> spectacular. It's like my favorite thing in the world. I go, I get multiple just because I can. I get so, so excited. I feel like, like I don't understand why we can't just pass a, a decree that there should be a Starbucks like in every sort of press box. I do love, I will say, the 49ers press box, that is actually my favorite. All the candy it's and ice cream box. you guys have. Oh, oh the money, candy bar edition. So much. That was the candy bar edition. I think it was in 2019. I was like, this here, this is what I'm talking about. I And so what, you know what I used to do in the um, midway through the third quarter is I, because I was like, you know, you're in that weird time of the day where it's like, okay, well, I'm probably not eating dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would often fly back to LA that night. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is kind of dinner. So I would take popcorn and then the peanut M&Ms and put them together. Mm-hmm. It was... 
a fantastic oh. experience. And I'm really looking forward to having that back in a post-COVID Dude, era. When, my boss is going to be like, wait, so why are you volunteering to cover all of these, like, Seattle, like, San Francisco? Yeah, I like, all home Seattle and 49ers games. I know I live across the country, and we have other reporters that are closer, but please, just, just mitigating circumstances that require yes. that I be in those press boxes, sir. You have M&Ms in my yes. Venti flat. What? Yes. Thank you very yes. much. Um, well, Kimberly, this was amazing. I had the most fun talking to you. I actually feel like I could talk to you all day and look forward to many a further conversation. Uh, And if you guys like what you heard, which I know you absolutely did, make sure to subscribe. How could you not (laughs) make sure to like, I mean, not like, make sure to leave us a five-star review. And then also, yes, like it, like the tweets, like the Instagrams uh, and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Uh, This was amazing, Kimberly. Thank you again. And everybody else, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, all Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.